Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth. And kids, you can take off. If you don't know where the book of Ruth is, last week we started this series out of the book of Ruth, and we go from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and the book of Ruth. And we're going to spend uh, the summer looking at this incredible a story of love and of redemption and God's faithfulness amidst a time of great faithlessness of the people of Israel. Now, as I began to think about what I might share, it was amazing that we would come to this text. I wasn't even thinking about Mother's Day, to be quite honest with you, when I came with this series. And it's amazing that this week of Mother's Day that we would look at three women at different places in their lives. You know, as I began to think about the role women have, it's amazing that women have a way of themselves when it comes to friendships. If you think about it, men, we're, we're very in, individualistic. And, and I have some friends. I don't have a lot of friends. But women, they seem to have... I know, I don't have a lot of friends. I know. But women, they seem to have not only friendships, but I mean real relationships. In fact, one of our Sunday school classes is talking about this subject of friendship amongst women. And I began to think about, well, when I watch a movie, I usually watch a movie about one guy. And if it's about sports, maybe it's about a team. But there's very few movies that I see that involve men that have to do with real friendship. But then I thought about women. And there's all kinds of TV shows, all kinds of movies that talk about the subject of friendship amongst women. I began to think about some of the shows growing up and who can forget Golden Girls. A bunch of older ladies living in Miami, living life together and going through life as a team. How about Designing Women? Remember the show with Delta Burke on Channel 2? Working class women, four or five of them getting together and talking about life as a circle of friends. Even on the daytime television and talk shows, we come upon a program called The View. Again, a show, a talk show with four women from different views and different lives talking about life and their viewpoints on life. And of course, who can forget Oprah? We're going to talk about her cousin Orpah today. But Oprah, I tell you what, she is probably one of the uh, biggest girlfriends you can have in America. Her desire, if you go to her website, her desire is to create a living room experience for the people, for the women of America. And she wants to be a hostess to invite you into the home of Oprah and to talk just as girlfriends. Then I began to think about some of the popular TV shows that we have on TV that surround themselves around women. But these go with pursuits that marginalize a woman in her experience. We have shows like Sex in the City, four women in New York pursuing love and romantic uh, desires. We have Desperate Housewives that surrounds the plot around women in a local neighborhood. Even here in Chicago on the radio, one of the most listened to radio programs is a show called Kathy and Judy on WGN. And what is their subtitle? They're the Girlfriends. I don't know if any of you listen to that. It doesn't look like many. Oh, some do. Okay. Got some girlfriends out there. But then I began to think about some of the movies that I've never seen, but some that uh, you women have seen. Steel Magnolias, Fried Green Tomatoes, The Joy Luck Club, The Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, and who can forget the two most famous girlfriends, Thelma 
and Louise. This subject of women and friendship is huge. In fact, I looked at the Lifetime TV network and it said that it wants to create, one of its missions as a TV channel is to promote a circle of friends amongst the participants that watch it through their programming. Lifetime TV wants to create a circle of friends when it comes to women. As I thought about that, I thought, well, what does God have to say about the subject of women and friendships? Well, just like there are three channels that every woman can watch if she wants to watch feminine television, Lifetime, Oxygen, and the We Channel, I believe there's a couple books in the Bible, or channels, if you will, in the Bible that give us a glimpse of life and friendship when it comes to women. The book of Ruth is one of those. I believe the book of Ruth is by far one of the most feminine books within all of the Bible. Ruth is a story of love. It's a story of life. It's a story of friendship and commitment. All those things that a woman would love to read about. If you look in the book of Ruth, you will see no battle scenes. There are no fight scenes. There's not even a sport mentioned in the book of Ruth. It is not a man's book. Now, that doesn't mean we can't receive from it, but this is a book that seems to center itself on the audience of ladies. But why is that? Because I'll tell you, one of the greatest pastimes, and I will get in trouble for this, but one of the greatest pastimes is seen in the book of Ruth. 52 of the 88 verses in the book of Ruth have to deal with talking. And I'll tell you, that's a great pastime for ladies. There's a lot of talking. I was talking with my wife this last week, and she asked me about what had happened. I'd gone to a preaching workshop, and and I uh, had to give a presentation. And she says, well, how'd it go? I said, fine. Anything more? No, that was about it. She says, you don't have anything more than that. You can't tell me anything more. I said, no, that's about it. It went fine. And she says, man, she says, you men, and the way you communicate, there's nothing there. And that's how we are as men. But women, you guys communicate a great deal. The book of Ruth is a story about women living life together and God's redemptive plan within that. The dialogue begins in verse 7. So I want you to turn to uh, Ruth 1, verse 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 18. Now, as I told you last week, as we spent time looking at the first six verses of the book of Ruth, we see that it is the time when the judges rule. That's how it opens the book. Now, the text tell, or the history tells us that this time when the judges ruled was a time that was marked by great anarchy and rebellion. And because of this rebellion, God sends a famine to the people of God. Now we are told in the first couple verses of Ruth that a man named Elimelech decides instead of staying in Bethlehem during this famine that he's going to go to a place called Moab where there is no famine taking place. So he takes his wife Naomi and the Klingon brothers, Malon and Kilion, and he takes them, it says, for a short season to live in the land of Moab. And we learned last week that Moab was a sexually immoral place, a place that had the practice of child sacrifice. And all this sexual immorality and child sacrifice was to appease their god, Chemosh. Yet during this time, which was supposed to be a temporary trip, the Bible tells us that Malon and Kilion take on Moabite women as their wives. But then the text tells us that after they marry these Moabite women named Ruth and Orpah, that Elimelech 
And Naomi's two boys, Malon and Kilion, die. And that's where we find ourselves today. Because what's left over are three widows. And the text tells us in verse 6 that Naomi hears of God's faithfulness to his people and supplying them food back in Bethlehem. So what does she do? She hears God's goodness. Naomi says, we're going back to Israel. Ruth and Orpah say, we're going to go ahead and go back with you. So that's where we pick up in verse 7. I'm going to ask you to do something as I read the Word. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. As we read and look together at Ruth 1, verses 7 through 18. This is what it says. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who, would, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to return back from you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You may be seated. With the time that I have left, I want to look at these three women. I entitled the message, The Three Amigas. We want to look at these three ladies, and from this, we want to see how they look at life. Now, with it being Mother's Day, I want to apply each of my application points to you as a group of women. But understand, guys, this does not mean, or if you're not a mother, or, or young or old, it doesn't mean you don't have to listen, because the application is good for all. But I'm going to be specific with my application to our wonderful ladies here today. We learn about three women this morning, three completely different women. Naomi is older. Orpah and Ruth are younger. Naomi is from the Israelite nation. The two younger ladies are Moabites. And we learn that they are coming from three completely different places. They're going to deal with circumstances and troubles in a different way. But the thing that they have all similar is that they're all widows. All three of them have lost their husband. And as we look at each one of these, we're going to ask ourselves a question. 
Now, the first woman we come across is the woman of Naomi. And we see a question that arises. When we look at Naomi, the question we must ask is, are you one who struggles with defeat? Are you one who struggles with defeat? Now, we don't know much about Naomi. In fact, all the characters within the book of Ruth, we don't have a lot of information about them. We know, of course, she's from Bethlehem, that she married Elimelech. She had two sons, and she goes on this sojourn to the nation of Moab. Now, we know from just a couple verses before this that in verses uh, 1 through 5 and 6, it tells us that trouble comes. Of course, she loses her husband. She loses her two boys. This is not a good 10 years in the place of Moab. Now, most scholars believe that Naomi was probably about 50-some years of age. In fact, one commentary shared that Naomi spent the good portion of the prime of her life in the place of of Moab. Now there are some ladies here today who are maybe looking and saying, you know, the next couple years are going to be the greatest years of my life. And I wonder if that's what Naomi was thinking as the commentaries say. If they were saying, well, maybe this trip to Moab will be a new beginning, a new opportunity, and things will go well for us. And it tells us that, of course, it didn't. Now, before we get into uh, some of the defeated nature of who Naomi was, I want to share some quick positives with you, and I need to move quickly for the sake of time. We see a couple positives with Naomi. First of all, in verse 6, Naomi should be commended that she saw the moving of God amongst his people. Verse 6 says that she hears that God has come to the aid of his people. Now, that is important. Now, we don't know how she found out, whether the Moab Tribune said, hey, over in Bethlehem, our correspondent says, God is coming through for his people. We don't know that. We don't know if Naomi had a pen pal in Bethlehem that was writing her and saying, hey, by the way, things are starting to turn around. We don't know how she found out that things were going well. But she did. And she listened to what was taking place. And that is so important for us to listen to as women. It is so important not to fall prey to all the daily activities and all the daily grinds and to forget that God is at work amongst His people. You know, as I continue to tell my wife, as she grows, and I'll tell you, my wife has blown my mind when it comes to how good of a wife and mother she is. I fell in love with her for her looks and her personality, and I am in love with her for her ability to be a godly mother and wife. And she's still beautiful if you thought I was going to change that. But she's great, and the reason why she's great isn't because she does the laundry or takes care of making sure dinner's on the table or makes sure the boys are wearing matching clothing or any of that. She is a godly wife because she desires the things of the Lord. And if you think that your place and your prominence as a mother or as a wife or in fact that of a woman is for the things that you do, forget that. Those things are so secondary to you paying attention to what God is doing in your midst. Naomi had some antenna up. We're not sure what it was, but she heard it and she responded well to it. The second thing we see is that not only is it involving that she heard, But she longed for the blessing of God amongst his people and took a step of faith back to Bethlehem. Now, this isn't in your notes yet, so just work with me as I pump up our friend Naomi for a moment. She longed for the blessing of God. I hope that the women of Village Bible Church long for the blessings 
of God. I don't mean the good things that come in life. I don't mean that we would long for money and prosperity and those things, but that we would long for God's blessing amongst our family and in our lives. I would hope that you would desire that God would bless your husband, that he would bless him and that he would encourage him and that he would convict him to be the godly man that he needs to be. As I look at what the commentary said about Naomi going back to Bethlehem, the thought was brought out numerous times that she longed to be with the people of God. I want to tell you something very, uh, very clearly of what I've learned as a young husband. Our women, especially young mothers, feel, and I've heard this more and more as I continue to go on, isolated in raising the kids. They feel like they're all by themselves and the importance thing is to bring them together with other godly women. That's why it's so important that we help out as men and as other people to help out in a ministry called MOPS. Why? Because we need to bring young women together so they don't feel isolated. Here, here is Naomi. She's completely by herself in a place called Moab. There's no MOPS group. There's no women's small groups Bible study. There's nothing like that. She's all by herself. And I will tell you, there are some here today who feel like they're all by themselves. And they say, you know what? This is the only time I have away from my children. It's the only time I have out of my home. And I'm going to go back today and get back in there for another six days of being isolated. Let me tell you something. If you feel that way, ask God to bless you with some friends. Ask God to open up opportunities. And we as a church should pray that we can come around women that feel isolated and give them a place of community. She longed to go back, and she took a step of faith. I'll tell you, it is not easy to step out in faith to meet new people. It is not easy to step out into new adventures. Naomi did it. She said, you know what? I've had enough with Moab. I'm going back to Bethlehem. It says that she was going to leave. She was making a decision. It says, for God and His people. Now, it says... She was going to leave Moab. Now, for 10 plus years, Moab was her home. In fact, she had buried the three people that meant the most to her. She left them buried. And she says, you know what? This chapter of my life is done. I need to head back to God and his people. God is at work amongst his people. So that's what she does. Now, she doesn't know what the response will be when she leaves or when she comes back. She doesn't know what she's going to do. Remember, she's a widow and she's not sure how she'll be taken care of. Nonetheless, she steps out in faith and pursues God in the promised land. Finally, there's one final uh, commendation before we get to the negatives. And that is look at the text and see how her daughter, daughters-in-law respond to Naomi. There is a love and a compassion, not just from Naomi to the girls, but from the girls to their mother-in-law. And there's a great principle that needs to be shared for those. Now, I am by no means an in-law, but I am a son-in-law, and I understand the politics and the framework by which in-law relationships happen. And I see something of great admiring that happens with Naomi. Naomi's daughter-in-laws love her. Now, I will tell you something. It is a very difficult thing to marry into anyone's family. And I know that we have families that, as they're growing older and as the kids grow up, they come home and the dreaded word that they come home with from college is not that I flunked, but I think he or she is the one. And we dread those words. 
And we say, well, we think you can do better. We think, you know, he's got a problem with this. He doesn't chew with his mouth shut. And other things that I heard my mother-in-law say about me. But I want us to be very careful. There's a great principle here. And that is, amidst all the circumstances, be one as a father-in-law, as a mother-in-law, as a mom or a dad. Be one who your children or your in-law children love to follow. I want to tell you something. One of the most difficult times in my life, in my short life here on earth, was dating Amanda. And it had nothing to do with dating Amanda. My future mother-in-law at the time was very difficult to deal with. And I will tell you, I can count the amount of times on my hand how many times I would go to her house, Amanda's house, and say, this is it. I I have to break up with her. I, I love her, but I can't live with her mom. There's no way I can look at a future with that woman. And that was my thought. Today is the day I'm going to break up with her. And she would get in the car looking beautiful, and I'd say, all right, we'll go another month. We'll try it out. And maybe that's where you're at today. My mother-in-law used to say the most horrific things to me. And she used to break my heart because all I wanted was her love and affection. All I wanted was her encouragement that, hey, I'm an okay guy. Maybe I'm not exactly what they were wanting or what they were looking for, but I loved your daughter, and all I want you to know is I'm going to do everything in my power to make that happen, and nothing I did would work. And every time I tried to do something right, something would break, or I would get in trouble even more. And I just just felt so completely discouraged. Let me tell you something. If you are a mother or a father or an in-law parent, and you are doing that, shame on you. I don't care what that child is doing. You, yes, have difficult discussions with them. You tell them where you're at. And if there's different ideals, you preach those and articulate those. But do it with the love of Christ. Do not beat that young person down. Let me tell you why. Because something amazing took place a couple years ago. After we got married, the issue never resolved. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I can't be the kind of mother Naomi was. I can't be the kind of mother-in-law. It can change. If you get in tune with God and you say, God, you allow me to love that stupid child. I can't believe the things he does, the things he says. I can't believe it, but God, give me the grace to love that boy. He'll do that. Let me tell you what happened. A couple of years ago, probably uh, right around the birth of Noah, something amazing took place. My mother-in-law got sick, and I was one of the individuals that went to go and spend time with her. And I was dreading it, saying, what am I going to say? If she dies, I'll be blamed for it. So I'm not going to want to go. And something amazing happened. I told her I would pray for her. I told her that uh, if there's anything I can do, I want to do it. And it's amazing that that relationship began to change from that moment on. I don't know what happened in my mother-in-law's life, but something amazing happened. Let me tell you, today, my mother-in-law is one of my greatest fans and supports. I can't speak highly enough of my mother. Does she have a mother-in-law? Does she have in, uh, just some weird uh, tendencies and stuff? She does. All mother-in-laws do. But she is a wonderful support. And I love her with all my heart. I've gotten off that soapbox. Now let's look at Naomi. Okay? Treat your children and your in-law children well, for my sake at least. Then we see some of the issues that Naomi has. 
The first thing we see is that this woman was a woman of utter defeat. Yes, she had things that she should be commended for, but she was a woman that struggled with defeat. The first thing we see when we look at Naomi is the cause of her defeat. The cause of her defeat. Now, I can assure you of something very clearly today. We've got probably half of this crowd is a group of women. And I will tell you, I am almost positive that there's not a small group, but there is a large group within this larger group as a congregation of women who suffer with defeat. This is something that is commonplace to women. I've heard numerous friends and numerous people, women within this church, say that they are in a season of discouragement, a season of defeat. And so was Naomi. But let's see what caused her defeat. Well, we know that, of course, she lost her husband. That's a huge issue of defeat. We know that she lost her two boys. That's huge. We can understand why she would be defeated. And like many women, just like Naomi, they find themselves feeling like a failure. I prayed about the first one. One of the key areas that women feel like a failure is that they cannot conceive a child. And they say, what's wrong with me? I will tell you, we need to be praying for those that are struggling with conceiving children. That is a huge strain, not only on the heart of a woman, but within a marriage relationship. And we need to pray that God would work in powerful and profound ways to either leave that or to answer the prayer that they would be able to one day hold a child of their own. Failure. Another one would be that there's a failure because of the lackluster marriage that we have. We have a lot of wives that come and they bring their families, but their husbands are never here. And they struggle. They see families together, husbands sitting with their wives, and they're brokenhearted. And what's supposed to be a time of great joy in the church, they walk out and they say, well, I wish my husband was here. And they say, you know... There's a defeat in my heart because everybody else got it going for them, but I don't. There's others. We know that there's defeat when it comes to raising up children, and you raise them the best that you can, and they go and they rebel, or they fight you tooth and nail for every inch of their lives. And what happens? Defeat grows. For others in this place, there's a defeat because you cannot find your soulmate. You haven't found your husband, and you say, what's wrong with me? Why can't I find him? Where are all the good men that are out there? Let me tell you, I could go on with a list of defeats, but I want to show you something. There's something that happens within the defeat. It's not wrong to feel defeated at times. That's all right. That's a human experience. But look at what happens to Naomi, because there is a complete nature of her defeat. We see the complete nature of our defeat. Because it doesn't just start with, hey, I feel defeated in this area. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere with this. But look at what it says. In verse 13, we see a statement of utter hopelessness. In verse 13, it tells us that she articulates that God's hand has gone against her. In other translations, preferably mine, I would translate this as, God is after me. God is against me. Have you ever made those statements before? Well, it seems that God takes care of everybody else, but God's got some issue with me. He doesn't want me to have this. That's Naomi's utter hopelessness. She says, it's not that I just have defeat in my life, but that the big guy upstairs, he does not want me to succeed. He does not want me to be happy. He does not want me to find joy, peace, and contentment. He's out against me. And it makes it very clear when she begins to talk to the women and say, you go home. Because she brings up, uh, the writer of uh, Ruth brings up this picture of this Leverite uh, custom. 
And the Leverite custom was that if you were a male and you were to die but you were married, it was the custom of your brother to marry your widow and to give her children. Now, I know that's going to gross out some of you, okay? Because think about that. If your husband was to die, you're in with your brother or your brother-in-law. Oh, you must have good-looking brothers or something, okay? I know Amanda would have cringed if Joel would have to be her husband, and that's all right. I know that my sister-in-law would cringe if I had to be her husband. But Naomi says, you know what? Okay, God's people have put this custom together, and that doesn't even work. Why? Because she's got no more children, no more brothers. These women are completely hopeless when it comes to... or I'm sorry, Naomi is completely hopeless as a result of that. Even the caveats of grace that God gives His people don't work for Naomi. So what happens? She's defeated. I mean utterly defeated. And it leads to some things. It leads to some consequences. It leads to some consequences. Look at what it says in the text. Here she lives in a result of living in defeat. Naomi does a couple things. First of all, this is what happens when we're defeated. She pushes away people. She pushes them away. Think about this for a moment. Here she has two daughter-in-laws that love her. And she says, I'm heading back to Bethlehem. And they say, hey, we're going with you, Naomi. And she says, you know what? No, God's against me. Woe is me. You, you stay back. Maybe you can, your life will turn around. Maybe you'll find a husband. I'm no good for you. You go back to Moab. And she pushes people away. I'll tell you, that's what we do when we're defeated, isn't it? We don't bring people closer. Say, you know what, I'd rather be alone and, and you know, it'd be nice to go out, but I'm just going to stay home and do that. When we become defeated and when it becomes an issue for us, we're going to push people away. Three times in the text, she tells them to go home or to return home. Next, we see the consequence of defeat is that we speak with a forked tongue. Her defeat led Naomi to a warped view of God. She says God is against her. God is aggressively pursuing her. Yet, but look at what it says in verse 8 and 9. She says, ah, God's against me. He hates me. He's going to beat me down. And then she says, may God bless you and show you kindness. May He give you uh, husbands and that you will find rest in the home of your mothers. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? For her, she speaks about God hating her and God pursuing her and going against her. And then out of that same mouth, she says that God would show you kindness. You know what that happens when that happens? It happens in our lives when we see God doing wonderful things for other people, but He's really out to get us. And we get this warped view of God. And what happens is, is we speak blessings for other people, but not ourselves. That's what Naomi is doing. She's got a warped view of God. Now we can understand why she's defeated. But the amazing thing is, is that defeat doesn't come because of the circumstances of life. Her defeat came because she had lost faith in God. Women, don't think that your defeat comes as a result of your husband. It doesn't come as a result of how terrible your kids are or how messy your house is or your relationship with your in-laws. None of that has to do with your defeat. Defeat comes when you allow those circumstances. You put more credence in them than you do in your God. She had all the hope in the world. God was going to bring her back to her people. Little did she know that God was going to do great things in her life and in the life of her uh, daughter-in-law, Ruth. But she allowed the circumstances of life to defeat her instead of letting God bring them out 
Well, there's a couple things that we see as a result of that. Here's Naomi's life. Now, the next two women we have are what I would like to call a compare and contrast to Naomi. Here's Naomi, full of defeat. The author then says, all right, you can go one of two ways. If you are a woman of defeat, then you can go the way of Orpah or you can go the way of Ruth. So let's look at Orpah for a moment. I told my wife I'm going to say Oprah a hundred times. Orpah. She comes into the picture, and when we see Orpah, we see the question that we must ask is, are you one who is stepping toward a departure? Here's one who struggles with defeat, Naomi. Now, in response to Naomi's life, Orpah comes in, and we see that she's out to depart. Now, after Naomi spends verses 11 through 13 telling the women to go back, verse 14 tells us what something that women do really good, men don't do very well. And verse 14 says they cried together. They wept together. Exegete that out of the Hebrew and they had a good cry. Don't you just need sometimes a good cry? Just let it all out. Are we awake out there? None of my jokes are flying today. All right, I must, I must be in trouble. So we'll just keep moving on. Verse 14 says that Orpah kisses Naomi. Now, a lot of commentaries say, well, what it is is it's a kiss-off. And you can't get that from the Hebrew text. The Hebrew text says that she does it with utter tenderness and love. Orpah loved Naomi. Orpah looked at Naomi as a great pillar in her life. This was not kind of, I'm out of here. But this was a full of love and tenderness. Now, commentators are split on what to make of Orpah's decision to go back to Moab. But my opinion is, is as I look at the commentaries, I look at the text, that there had to have been some weight behind Orpah's decision. And I would put Orpah in the same place as I would put Elimelech at the start of chapter 1. In light of trouble, she went where she believed there was no trouble. Orpah looks and she knows that if she goes back to Bethlehem, there's probably no chance for her to get married. There's no chance for her to have children. She's going to be a foreigner. So what does she do? It says that she went back to her people and to her gods. That's what Naomi says. Well, it says that what her departure is all about. First of all, it allowed a return back to her relatives. We see that there was a return back to her relatives. Naomi says that she could return to her people. The Hebrew word for people there is not just people, but it's used more specifically to her family. She went back to mommy and daddy. That's what Orpah did. Trouble comes and what does she do? She turns around and she goes back and says, you know, it didn't work in the, in the Elimelech family, so I'm heading back to uh, the Orpah Johnson family. And that's what she does. She goes back to Moab. Now, in the Moabite tradition, history tells us that she would have been remarried. They would have found her a husband. She would have then had children. She would have had a life. She would have found security and prosperity in the home of her parents. Women, be very careful that when trouble comes, especially for those that are married, that every time trouble comes, you're not going back to mommy and daddy. Stick with your husband. Stick with him. Even when trouble comes, don't always second guess him. Don't say, hey, you know, husband, let's go talk to mommy and daddy. Daddy's got money. He'll figure things out. I'll tell you, there's nothing more demoralizing for a husband than a wife that looks to her daddy for her support and not her husband. She goes back to her family because there's security there. Second, she returns to her religion. It says to her gods. From Naomi's point of view, uh, Orpah's return was a return back to her old religion. When 
Uh, I first, uh, first uh, started dating Amanda. Uh, Amanda, at, at the beginning, was not a believer, okay? And I walked the very tight road of dating an unbeliever. And I was challenged by both my youth pastor and my father, be careful where you're going. We're going to watch you. We're going to hold you accountable. And in the first month, God did amazing things in Amanda's life, and she came to know Christ. In the first month that we were dating, I will tell you that it was even getting to a point that I was saying, maybe it's time to end this thing. I kept saying that I was going to end things as a result because I was like, maybe she's not going to come to know Christ. And so I was all excited about what God was doing in Amanda's life. And I said, you know, I want to marry her, Dad. I want to get closer to her, and I want to start a family. He says, you know what? Before that happens, you spend time watching her walk with God. And my dad had this story of a man, a friend of his, who was in his wedding, that this woman professed Christ. He got married to this friend of my dad's. She professes Christ. They get married soon thereafter. And everything's going fine. And he's on fire for the Lord. And then what happens? One Sunday she says, I never want to go to church again. I don't want it. I just did it because I loved you. I wasn't really into Jesus. I, I don't want nothing to do with it. Those people are weird. Your singing's weird. And to sit and listen to them, I'd rather just sit at home. And she divorced him. And my dad says, be very careful that this public profession isn't just something skin deep or because of love, but that it would be uh, a thing that grows and matures. Orpah sees trouble, and she goes back to her religion. Be careful that you don't yoke yourself to people, even though they profess Christ, you who are engaged, you who are dating people, that they don't just profess Christ just so that you can sign the papers to get married, because they, in troubled times, will return to their old gods. Finally, we see that Naomi's return was back to reality. Moab was all that Orpah knew. She didn't know about Bethlehem. She didn't know about the Israelites. She didn't even know much about Yahweh. Whatever she had learned about Yahweh was from a defeated woman named Naomi. She didn't know much about him, and she's going to give up all that she has for it. So what does she do? She has more faith in her love for Naomi than she does God's love. And as a result of that, she goes back to her reality there are some here today who desire nothing more than to be set out in a departure. You say, I've had enough to do with church. I've had enough to do with Christianity. I just want to take off and go. And you know, I, I, I prayed the prayer with Tim and, and I walked, so I'm okay. I've got it. Even if it does turn out that all that they say is true, then things will be fine. But listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.35. If you're ready to leave for a departure... Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones will live by faith. And if He shrinks back, if He leaves, I will not be pleased with Him. But we are not of those who shrink back listen to what it says, and are destroyed. Don't think that you can come in for a little while and hang out and say, I'm going to try it out for a while, and, and if it doesn't work, it's all right. I'll, I'll put it on my ledger that I was at church. I said the prayer. He says, but those who shrink back will be destroyed, but those who believe will be saved. Are you set for a departure this morning? Maybe troubles come in your life and your relationship with Christ hasn't been that strong. And you said, you know what? I'm thinking about leaving. I'm thinking about calling it quits. I would say, 
before you do that, think of the consequences that can come from walking away from God. We don't know what happens to Orpah. I think it's amazing. I was reading a book of Jewish history, and it says that Orpah, Naomi, and Ruth had this encounter four miles outside of Moab. And as a result of the four miles outside of Moab, they, they experienced the tears, and there were four tears that she cried for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And those four tears were symbolic of the four children that uh, Orpah would have, one of them who is very famous, very big. His name is Goliath. And the Jewish historians believe that Orpah was the father of the great giant Goliath. We don't know what the Scripture... The Scripture does not say where Orpah Orpah goes or where she uh, ends up. We do know she heads back to Moab. She was set for a departure. Finally, we see Ruth, and the question we must ask is, are you one who is serious about your devotion? Are you one who is serious about your devotion? In contrast to Orpah, who kisses Naomi and heads home, verse 14 says that Ruth clung to Naomi. The word clung in the Hebrew literally in noun form means adhesive or glue. She grabbed a hold of her mother-in-law and she would not let go. I have an aunt that clings like that. She grabs, she puts her arms around you and you're never going to go anywhere. She's got a hold of you. And the idea here is the same picture that it tells us in Genesis 1. That we are, when we leave father and mother, that we are to uh, cleave, we are to cling to our spouses as a result of that. And that's what Ruth does. Now, the amazing thing is that she makes a completely different decision. Does she have any more information that Orpah had? No. Does she love Naomi anymore? Probably not. They seem to love each other pretty, pretty evenly. But there's a couple things that may have happened. First of all, maybe Ruth was growing old of Moab. Maybe she was sitting there saying, I don't like all this debauchery. I don't like all this child sacrifice. I don't like this God, Chemosh. And maybe as she heard Naomi speak of the fondness of God coming to his people, that she said, hey, this God is something to be desired. Maybe I will go and I will pursue this God. We don't know. But in verse 16, Naomi tells, I'm sorry, Ruth tells Naomi to stop urging her to leave. She says, no matter what the future holds, I'm going with you. Now remember, she was leaving the place that gave her any chance of ever being a wife or a mother. And she was saying, you know what, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God, even if that means my life gets even worse. Well, that begs just a couple questions as I close out our text. Here's the first question we have. When we look at Ruth's life, the question we must ask is, who are you following? Who are you following? Ruth articulates who she's following. She says, I am following your people and your God. She says, your God will be my God. She commits herself and says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this to be true. Yahweh will be my God in the good, the bad, or the ugly. Let me tell you, people of God, especially the women of God in this place, make sure you have committed yourself to who you are following. Are you following Dr. Phil or Oprah? Are you following your husband? Are you following the woman down the street? Whoever you're following, if it is not God, you're following the wrong individual. She says, my God is now going to be the God of Israel. She articulates, she commits herself to it. Number two, we see that a question must be asked, and that is what level of faith do you possess? Ruth exhibits an incredible faith. I will contend with you 
that Ruth's faith is greater than that of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Why? Because both of them are asked to leave their homeland and go to a different place. But here's the caveat. Abraham left because he was promised a reward when he got there. Ruth is promised absolutely nothing, and she still heads out to Bethlehem. This is a woman who is full of faith. And she's willing to go and she says, I will completely put all my trust, no matter the trials, no matter the temptations, no matter the struggles that I face, my faith is in God. It's firm. It's set. And it tells us that she left family. She left culture. She left the opportunity to have marriage. She left it for children. She wasn't going to have any of that. What a deep faith. But look at what she says in verse 17. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. She says, let me tell you something. I'm not changing my mind. I'm going to live for you, and I'm going to live for your God. And I will tell you, if I walk away from that, be it unto God to severely punish me. That should be the prayer of every Christian in this place. I want to serve you, God. I want to follow you. And if I don't live up to that... God, I give you permission to, God, to be the God of discipline in my life. Deal with me severely. You know, that's not the way we pray, is it? We say, no, Lord, don't, don't, don't spank me. Don't do that. You know, I'll live the way I want to. Ruth says, you know what? If I don't live up to this commitment, God, you punish me if you must. Finally, we see that it tells us that even unto death she would follow Christ. And the thing that we see there is how firm is your devotion to Christ. Look at what it says in verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined, underline that word, was determined to go with her, she stopped urging. The word determined there means she made up her mind. The word determined in the Hebrew literally means to stiffen up, to make one firm. And that's what we need the women of God here at Village Bible Church to be. Determined women. Those who say, if God takes my children, so be it. If God takes my husband, so be it. If God allows for my husband to be a jerk, so be it. If God allows for my children to rebel, so be it. If my house is a mess or it's a dilapidated place, so be it. Whatever happens, God, you're my God and I am your woman set apart to do the righteousness of God no matter the circumstances in life. Those are the type of women that Village Bible Church needs. And I praise God that we have women in this place that say that. No matter what happens, I am a woman who will serve you and you alone. That is what Ruth does. And I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing what God does in Ruth's life. I'm not going to set up the whole story, but God does exceedingly, abundantly, more than Ruth could have ever asked for or imagined. And that's the story of redemption that we'll see. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for all that you've done. And Lord... As we uh, close out our service this morning, Lord, I praise you for your word. I praise you that you have given us this picture of a wonderful woman, Ruth, who goes and who makes the right decision to follow you, that your people would be her people, that you would be her God. 
And Lord, there are some today who are like Naomi, who are in a place of defeat, who are struggling for a myriad of reasons. And Lord, we lift them up and we pray through your blessing and your grace that you would lift them out of that miry clay. And Lord, that you would bring them to a place of victory. Lord, for those women who are set for a departure, whether it's the departure of their marriage or their Christian walk, Father, I pray that they would not pursue the ways of the way they used to live, the ways uh, of other gods or other pursuits. But Lord, just as we pray, that they would be like Ruth, who amidst all trials, amidst all troubles said, I will follow you. Father, I pray that for each of the women in this place. Father, I pray for the husbands of these wives, that they will be supports. Father, that they will encourage their wives, that they will love them and spur them on towards love and good deeds. I pray for our children in this place, that they would be a joy to their mothers, that their mother's work will be of ease and not a labor-intensive act. Father, that it would be a labor of love because she sees the blessings that happens as she serves her God and her family. Again, Lord, we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for the joy they are in our lives. And I pray that today, wherever our mothers may be, that we would reach out to them and that we would share the love of Christ and our gratitude for them in all that we say and all that we do. So, Father, lead us as we leave this place and as we go on to our Sunday school classes and to events later in the day. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, Amen. Go and fellowship with one another.